you know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Cheryl Todd, how are you? I am great and always better when I get a chance to talk to my friends, you guys, Jake and Michael, especially since we've been in isolation for, has it been like 10 years now or just since like March? (laughs) 12 or 13, I think. Yeah, so we're recording this July, late July 2020. Um, For context in that comment, in case you're listening in the future and you have no idea what we're referring to. but yeah, usually we, we cross paths at shows and stuff, and uh, there haven't been shows. And uh, it's been rough, man, really rough. But it's good to see you. Thanks for making time to, to be with us on our podcast. We've uh, appeared on yours a couple of times to talk about Walk the Talk America on Gun Freedom Radio. But uh, this now we've got Gun Freedom Radio on Walk the Talk America's podcast. So we wanted to have you on uh, as I was explaining before, before I hit the record button, that just because you bring a different perspective, I think you're you're a female gun owner, gun shop store owner, advocate, radio show host, got a psychology background, and when we first kicked off our um, our continuing education courses uh, with the very first one in Reno, almost exactly a year ago today, um, you somehow caught wind of it and flew up and, and attended in person, which was super cool. And I want you to tell that story, but I want to kick it over to Mike first, because I want you to talk a little bit about uh, how important Cheryl's been uh, for us, because she's, I mean, she and her folks really have really helped us out quite a bit. Yeah, well, Cheryl and Dan are like two of my favorite people in the firearms industry. So uh, supportive since day one, uh, especially when, you know, it's funny how far we've come, Cheryl, right? Like when I first would come onto your show, you had me on. Um, I remember doing your show, calling in from Florida. I was in Florida, and we had screwed up the dates. Uh, <laughs> I did. Yeah. Totally well, messed it up. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I think back at those times, and it's like, you you let me come on the show, which was amazing. Because I look back at all those times, and I feel kind of bad, because I really didn't know what I was doing. All right? <laughs> uh, it's so different now. So, uh, you know, big supporter of what I do and your work in the community. Not only do you own a gun shop, you're a good person, you talk about these things that nobody wants to talk about, but you also do things like you'll bring Maj Tori into your gun shop to do, I, what do we call those, meet and greets, and also, you know, for him to, to spread his message. So you support uh, also on the DC project. Actually, we should just let you do your bio because you're on the DC project too. So you, you just you're like a two A super hero. <laughs> I love that. That is so kind. And thank you. Uh, I am just, I'm blessed really to get to know the people that I know to have, um, found all of this kind of work late enough in owning my own gun store, of course, along with my husband that we built up a staff so I can actually you know, leave the shop once in a while. For many, many years, uh, we were too small and I couldn't have, I couldn't get my eyes up off the page long enough to do anything other than just to work because we also had an, uh, and still do have an auction house, Pot of Gold Auctions. And um, so it was, it was pretty, you know, tied down for a lot of years. And now that I can spend some time doing Gun Freedom Radio, uh, doing the speaking events that I'm asked to do, joining the DC project, which is women from every state across the nation, uh, forming relationships with our elected officials. I mean, go figure, who knew you could do that, right? right. And then uh, helping, even having a chance to know about something like Walk the Talk America and to be able to help amplify your voice and figure out what ways that I can be physically and and instrumentally involved in the excellent work that you're doing, the the needed work that you're doing at Walk the Talk America. 
it's incredible. It's just incredibly um, beautiful to me that I have these opportunities. And so then for Michael Sodini to call me a superhero, oh my goodness, that's just icing on the cake. Well, I, I, I truly believe that. I think you do a lot. I think there's these uh, group of people inside the 2A community that do so much. Um, and I can only hope that you, you get the recognition. And I think you have, like being invited to be on the DC project and everything like that. Um, but once again, I draw back to, you know, you let me on the show when it was more of a concept for me, you know, um, and you've supported me. So it's kind of cool. We've grown together in two years um, and look where we are now, right? Like <laughs> who would have thought, but um, you know, I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you for that. And, and I'm sorry, Jake, to cut you off, but you know, that whole, you know, having you on the show before it was a fully formed idea. My husband and I have been entrepreneurs and small business owners the entire 35 years we've been married and everything we've done has been just kind of like this feeling our way around in a dark room until we, you know, figure it out and make it work. And so it never even felt odd to me that you were like, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with this yet, but it's an idea. I'm like, it's a great idea. Let's give it as much oxygen as we can. I was, uh, I was going to have you explain your radio program to the, to the audience uh, in case of people who, who don't know, because we're, we're really trying to invite in uh, a broad listenership, uh, especially with, from the mental health community. But I wanted to hover for a second on something you said there, because I think it's really worth pointing out that like anybody who's listening who thinks that these things just kind of magically pop up with a lot of funding and uh, support. They don't. And I'm glad you, you touched on the entrepreneurship and how ideas, I mean, they start just as ideas and then you kind of fumble and feel your way forward until things start clicking in a place and it just takes an incredible amount of perseverance, dedication and hard work to lift uh, any project off the ground. So if you're listening and you're, you're looking like, oh man, walk the talk America. I wish I could do something like that someday. Like you can't, you totally can. Um, you just can't do it in a day. Right. So we're two years in, I'm only a year on to the, onto the project with Mike. And, um, I think what we've done is incredible. And I think that if anybody logs in now, they'd be like, Whoa, that's crazy. Like these, these people are really doing something. And it's really like two or three people. It's not, it's not a whole bunch of, it's not, it's not an army. Um, and, and really it's Mike who's been laboriously just diligently <laughs> slugging it out on the phone, shooting emails all the time. And getting lots and lots and lots of volunteer efforts from people like Cheryl. So, you know, getting exposure, that kind of thing. So if you've, if you've got a dream, go chase it, man. Like we, we want to encourage that. And if you want to lean out for, or reach out and lean on us for support, we're, we're all more than happy to, to do that. But talk about, talk about Gun Freedom Radio. What, what is it and how did you come up with it? And, um, you know, that whole thing. Well, I appreciate that. And first of all, we're saying it wrong because it's called Gun, Gun Freedom Radio. Radio. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this, um, it's now a podcast style show, but we started out as like 15 minutes a radio spot on somebody else's show, just talking about the issues of the day. Because, um, you know, in all the businesses that Dan and I, my husband Danny and I have owned, this is business, the gun business is the one that um, is the, the most, you know, roller coaster like, because one day we can be, you know, the American patriots who are helping to save lives. And the next day where some, you know, politician says something hateful against guns or some horrible event happens where somebody's completely misused a gun. Uh, and then suddenly we're like the purveyors of death. And we're the same people. The tools are the same. Everything's the same. It's just how people um, feel about it and how they, um, how, how we have been portrayed, the guns themselves and the people who own them and, and sell them. And so I realized that there was a lot of, there was a, a lot of room to explain, to help people understand better. And as I was doing that, I realized that I, I had the concepts, I had the, the nuts and bolts of it in my own mind, but to be able to convey it to another person, I, I was lacking. And so I started reaching out to experts in their field and I thought, well, I'll, I'll act like I'm just interviewing them. But in the meantime, I'm like, no, teach me. This is about like, I want to learn. And so therefore with the microphone in front of our mouths, we're, you know, exposing, um, 
the the ideas and the concepts right from the horse's mouth. The people that are, you know, either hunters and that that's their expertise, or whether they're um, firearms trainers, or whether they're competitive shooters, or whether they're people doing awesome work like the Walk the Talk America. Let's talk to them and get their perspective from the inside of what they're doing. And uh, we just kind of grew from there. We we are an interview-based show. Uh, we have gone from being 15 minutes to an hour to two hours, and now we've dialed it back in the podcast uh, uh, format to be, you know, right around an hour. And we're on YouTube, we're on GunStreamer, we're on an app called OpsLens, and then of course our our website, GunFreedomRadio.com. All the shows we've ever had live on there, and we have a, also a tab on there for guests. You can go back and see every guest we've ever had. And there is such an incredible, um, it's a, such an incredible resource of people and information. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of like a great library, like what's behind me, a great library of our history um, and what's going on, whether it's political or whether it's, you know, just issues. And um, I love it. I really do, because I do get to meet some incredible people form great relationships. And then here's my real candy. This is what I really love is when I can meet somebody new and I can think, who do they need to know? So then I get them connected, you know, and kind of walk away and, you know, let that happen. However, it's going to happen because the more people who know each other, the tighter knit our, our world is not even just our community, you know, this gun, you know, two a community, second amendment community, but the world, uh, the faster communication goes, the less we are inclined to want to, you know, sort of other people like, oh, well, they're gun people, so they're not like me, you know? There's more of a, a base of, of familiarity and understanding and connectedness. And so then we can really work our way through um, gaining a better understanding of each other and the issues. Um, before the COVID, uh, you know, explosion, <laughs> you were working out of a, a really nice studio. And I was fortunate enough to go on there with my national sales manager on one of your episodes uh, where we were in Phoenix and we stopped by the studio. We were in studio guests. Uh, it was kind of cool, Jake, because um, we just stayed for the whole show. We just sat in on the whole show. She let us sit on the whole show, but it's very professional, um, like really nice studio. But it's kind of cool. Like during the episode, she took a call from one of your colleagues that was like following the caravan through South America that was coming up. Remember that back? Yeah. Yes. You know, back that was kind of crazy. Chuck Holton, and he is right now, he's in, I think, Portland for all the crazy riots going on there. And so if there is some level of unrest, and his podcast is called The Hot Zone. So if there's a hot zone someplace, he puts himself in the middle of it with a camera. And I'm like, I like my safe studio a little better than that. But uh, I'm glad that I'm getting that first person um, interaction instead of just having to rely on whatever the the news in air quotes wants to um, convey to me. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I don't know what would compel somebody to go do that. That sounds. He's hideous. a military guy, <laughs> yeah. former military. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you, know, just, you do you. I'm going to just sit here and interview you about it. <laughs> if I remember correctly too, it was interesting because as you were kind of wrapping up the interview, it was like a, eyewitness account of what was going on he kind of made like a reference of like okay like there's a bunch of people surrounding the car it was almost like he left it as a cliffhanger like i hope he's okay <laughs> that's Jack. i guess i guess the same thing that propels people to do that or is that you know the same type of uh thing that propels people to do what we're doing which is like why would you want to go strolling down the center of guns and mental health that's like the demilitarized zone nobody goes there um, but we're, we're doing it now. And so if I could segue into what, what attracted you to our mission, I, I would want you to, to kind of, you know, to share some of that if you would. Absolutely. So, you know, as I said, my husband and I have married 35 years, been in all kinds of different small businesses, but my personal passion has always been the study of psychology. And I thought what I thought I was going to be when I grew up was, you know, a counselor 
and have the, you know, the sofa and the whole Freud pipe and puff on it while I was asking people to, you know, talk about where it all began. Um, and it just, God just didn't have that pathway open for me. And so the, the love and the passion of understanding what makes us tick as human beings and how we interact with each other as human beings, that never left me. So I figured out how to incorporate those things into the work that I do. Culture building with my team at work, um, just any interpersonal communication uh, is practice uh, and living out those things. So that, you know, just kind of at its, at, at its base is just something that I'm drawn to. And then I hear these rumblings about, here's this, you know, organization called Walk the Talk America. Even that, Walk the Talk, ooh, what are we, what are we living out? Okay, I'm interested. What are, you know, so it's, it's living out, you know, the responsibility of the firearms industry and community in understanding that there is a mental health issue and that there is an intersection with firearms and mental health in that, unfortunately, the majority of suicides do take place with firearms. That's mm -hmm. not a political statement. That's, uh, you know, it's just the, the fact of the matter. And from the beginning of when I started studying psychology, I've always known that. And then you flash forward, I'm in the business. And, you know, realizing that when we're interacting with people at our counter, you know, actually on the retail floor, that there are a lot of things that we're, we're looking for uh, to make sure that, you know, somebody's not trying to do what we call a straw purchase, where the gun is really for someone else, but they're buying it because someone else can't legally have it. That the person on the other side of the counter, uh, you know, isn't kind of telegraphing to us that they're either very, very depressed or that they're very, very, you know, geared up or anxious. There's a lot of things that we're looking for and um, that we can be more tuned into that, that we can have some uh, more skills in how to interact with, with that situation and that we have some tools. And so the skills and the tools are the piece that Walk the Talk America is bringing about. And not just for me as a retailer, I mean, that right there is great enough, but then that conversation uh, that I flew to Reno to to be kind of a fly on the wall for is to help uh, mental health professionals who don't come from a background maybe in firearms or you know constitutionalist back mindset to help mental health professionals better understand why would somebody even want to own a gun? Don't you know that most suicides happen with a gun? Why would you even want that, right? Um, so to help educate uh, that conversation that's happening privately in a mental health professional's office so they can serve their, their customer, their client um, even better. I mean, it's just, it's so rich and it's so untapped that I, I can't wait to see as it's blooming into its full fruition. Walk I appreciate you saying that. That, 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 that means a lot to me. Um, as far as, you know, what, what I've done with, since I've joined up, um, to hear that come from you, cause it really means like we're doing something. We're not just advertising it for publicity's sake. And, and I got into a little bit of a back and forth, uh, with a guy on social media recently who thought that it was just a bunch of, uh, firearms culture celebrities uh, doing it for the sake of um, publicity purposes. And it's like, no, no, we actually are doing things. And some of those things are teaching courses and putting literature out on the shelves at retail stores. Um, have you gotten, you, you have our flyers, I'm guessing on your, on your counters. We do. We do. do you have the, do you have the ones with the stamp? Like they're, they're going to have a stamp on it. I don't know if Mike's talked to you about this, but um, the yeah. idea is to, to put a local, therapy agency uh, sticker or stamp or something on the flyer. So, you know, people pick it up and they're like, oh, Second Amendment friendly therapist near you. Uh, and I don't know if you know anybody in Arizona who's, or at least in your part of Arizona, who's, you know, hip to our mission, but that might be, you know, conversation worth having too. And, and again, to the listening audience, if you're hearing this and you're in the firearms uh, community, 
this is one of the things you can do to help move the needle is volunteer to have some of our literature at your store. And if you're not in a store, just keep listening and keep having the conversation. Right. But, um, to, do, do, go back to my question because I just kind of rabbit trailed there. Do, do you guys have anybody in your community who is a, a firearms friendly clinician? We need to actually do better work um, finding someone and, and partnering with someone like that um, because there, there really is a need for that level of understanding. One of the things when I came to Reno to um, listen to, to how you guys, what your class was about and how you were interacting with the people that showed up, um, the mental health professionals that showed up there, was um, that if I were if I were looking for someone for uh, marriage counseling, right? Well, I can type that in. I can Google that, right? If I'm looking for somebody that understands uh, maybe uh, pill addiction or something like that, there's a way to search for that. If I'm someone who's a firearms owner and I'm thinking, suppose I'm a first responder or someone like that. And I'm thinking the minute I go and let someone know that I'm, struggling a little bit in my personal life, I could lose my livelihood. This could impact my reputation, you know, if my car's in the parking lot. I mean, like there are a lot of ways that this can really prohibit people from seeking out the help. So if we can at least, you know, help the people who have guns, who want to get mental health counseling, and the counselors who are like, I don't care that you have guns, I do too. I want to give you counseling help connect them if there's a way on their website or some kind of a search term or something that helps me know this is a gun friendly, you know, no judgment zone for firearms owners. Uh, that is huge. And so you're right. If I can have somebody that's kind of top of mind for me and for my customers, my clients, all the better, you know, shorten that, that conversation space between I need help and here's help available. So I appreciate that, um, that nudge in that direction. Yeah. I like to use this example because, um, like for, uh, I use myself as an example. I'm not a hunter. I don't like hunting. There's not a deer on this planet that has to worry about seeing my face in a bad way. Okay. Um, wait a minute. Now you can hit one in your truck on the road. I mean, this could happen. It can but happen. But <laughs> Not on purpose, you're saying. I don't want to see a blind. I don't want to get up at 3.30 in the morning. Like I don't want any of that part of that. There's nothing fun about it. But being uh, who I am in this industry and the people I'm surrounded with, hunting is a way of life, right? Uh, Hunting. So I'm around people that talk to me about hunting all the time. And I can have a conversation with them about hunting because I know enough and I've I've tried it. Um, But I can turn around and say to the person, yeah, I don't, I, I want nothing to do with hunting. Right. And that's how I kind of feel about this situation is, is once you kind of have a, a cultural competence or an understanding, right. Um, if I go to the range and I pop off a thousand rounds to relax, to calm my anxiety, right. People hear like, uh, somebody got busted in their car with a thousand rounds of ammunition and everybody in the gun industry just laughs because we all spent a thousand rounds like shooting our firearm. We're um, like, that's cute. That's right, exactly. That's, that's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so if I can go in a time of crisis and talk to my therapist and, and, and literally just go, yeah, I went to the range uh, earlier today and I shot off a thousand rounds. I'm actually, I feel a lot better. And that therapist, even if they don't, understand why that would make someone feel better if they can understand that okay that's a technique that this person uses that's a good thing that's Mm -hmm. a positive thing Mm -hmm. it doesn't ring some kind of alarm because they talk the same language we do or at least they understand the language Mm -hmm. well and so in a similar way when somebody says well i go to the range to relax that there is a therapeutic um, element to anything that's your hobby it does you know and we don't have to judge people's hobbies based on our own values, right? And what would be good for us. But I um, recently interviewed, his name is Shaky Dave Smith, and he has Parkinson's. And when he goes out on the range, the act of focusing and shooting a firearm, it releases actual uh, dopamine and endorphins into his system. And he can go from having terrible tremors 
to being rock steady solid still. Now, when you can see there's a science in something that is that visible, it also makes it easier to help somebody understand that, you know, even if my, my anxiety is not physically visible or, you know, whatever's going on, but to have that hobby that helps me, you know, relax and really de release those things, that might help, you know, in that visual way for people to understand. No, there's really a science going on here. Yeah, I think that's overlooked by clinicians. Um, I'm thinking this just crossed my mind. It's nothing I've ever really considered before, but it wasn't that long ago that the people in the Christian church community um, absolutely wholly rejected not only psychology and counseling, um, but like yoga. Right. And it still goes on. I just, I just heard word of, uh, of a buddy of mine who um, sent me an article about how a Christian church somewhere in, um, in Oregon was like, it had this open decree that said, you know, nobody asked, they just volunteered this thing they said, uh, yoga is incompatible with Christianity. It's like, okay. Um, so there's some spiritual practice that goes along with that, but the physiological benefits of doing a yoga routine on a somewhat regular basis, whether it's daily or three times a week, um, is it, you can't deny it. And the same thing can be said for, for range therapy. Um, we don't, we don't get to judge that and to, to judge it is antithetical to the entire profession where we're supposed to be non-judgmental and meet people where they are. Uh, so it's, it, it's disappointing to me when I hear, uh, clinician friends say, when I bring this topic up, they say, ah, oh, that that's nothing I'm ever going to be a part of. It's like, well, before COVID and before the massive gun run, uh, of 2020, approximately 47% of people in the United States either owned a firearm, live with somebody who does, does. And now we know that number's astronomically higher, definitely north of 50%. So that's half the clientele, ostensibly. They would walk in and, and, and own guns and probably use them for some sort of recreation and or benefit. You're going to like, like call CPS because they take their kids to the range, which is literally a story that I tell. And one of my interns, you know, asked me, I was like, do I have to call CPS? Cause this guy said that he, he went shooting with his kids. I was like, no, please, for the love of God, don't. <laughs> so we need, we do need to keep talking about it. But to one of your earlier points, Cheryl, you were, you were mentioning that um, it, we need to get the gun community familiar with counseling too, so that they're not spooked about it. Talk about what you see and hear from your people in your circles and all the conversations you've had about some of the, maybe the, the skittishness about coming in. It doesn't have anything to do with um, the, the stigma, which is, you know, I don't want to be seen going to, to counseling because people think I'm crazy and then they think I'm unfit for duty. What else is there? Well, you know, there are people who are gun owners uh, traditionally. Now, gun ownership and the Second Amendment, the Bill of Rights, all of that, it's not political, right? It's been made political. Um, but traditionally speaking, people who uh, are, are drawn to gun ownership have very much been, you know, more conservative-minded, more individualistic-minded, kind of the Lone Ranger type of personality. So we're supposed to be able to rely on ourselves. That's the reason we're buying a gun for self-defense because we, we're our own immediate responder. We're trying to be self-reliant. Well, if, if that goes too globally, if we start thinking too globally about that, then why would I think that I need help from somebody to talk about, you know, I feel bad. That's, you know, mm. that goes completely against, you know, makes me uncomfortable in my skin. Um, we are shifting and moving, I believe, especially in this year when we have so many brand new first-time gun owners that uh, I think they're probably having a little bit of an out-of-body experience going, I would have never thought in a million years I was going to be a gun owner. What does this mean about me now? You know, I, I have to reevaluate my, my worldview and my, you know, does this make me have to be a, a Republican? No. Mm. You know, does this make me a conservative? No. It makes you someone who is having a prepared mindset and you're trying to um, be a responsibly armed citizen. Um, but I think that 
you know, the, using the older generation, older stereotype, it, it really is that thing that we, we think we're supposed to be um, all encompassed within ourselves, like we're our own island. And so if that's our mindset, how on earth can we possibly envision ourselves reaching out for help? I mean, I have people that I know in my life that have, are proud of the fact that they never go to a doctor, like a physical doctor. Well, I don't know where you get a sense of pride in that, actually, because like if I have a toothache, I'm going to the dentist. You know, if I, if I have strep throat or something, I'm going to the doctor. Especially if you have insurance, you're paying that premium for something. You might as well use it. Seriously. Hello. Um, but so to take that to I need to go talk about how I feel in my spirit or in my head and my brain. That's a really hard leap for people. And so just like I have been hoping over these past several years with the advocacy that I do for Second Amendment rights and, um, you know, just taught, having these conversations about guns, where I'm hoping to re-normalize gun ownership, because there was a time in our nation when every home had at least one gun because it was survival and it was food on the table, Right. And so it was just very, very normal. It was like having silverware in your, in your silverware drawer. Um, and you teach your kids how to use the knives so they don't hurt themselves. It, it wasn't weird or fringe or, you know, dramatic in any way to have a firearm or several in the home. Over the course of years, we've gotten more urban and we don't go forage for our own food like me and Mike, right? Because I've been on hunts, but I've never hunted. I'm kind of like you. Um, but we have hit a deer with a truck, so I'm, I am guilty of that. Uh, but so I'm thinking that might be part of it is that we, we're living more urban now. And so we feel like, well, if the police are a phone call away and food is in the grocery store. And so we don't need this thing in our house called a gun. And so now it feels weird when you have one or you know a friend that has one. So I've been trying to renormalize that's just, you know, you step out for a box of ammo. It's no different than going to the store for a carton of eggs, you don't have to get a babysitter for the child and lie to your neighbor about this, the errand you're running because, you know, that you're going to be thought out as weird. We need to, I think, normalize um, seeking help if we're having a difficult time in life, especially right now with all the stuff that's going on with the COVID and with the civil unrest and all the, the political divisions and everything going on, it's hard to find a place where you just have calm around you and you just, you feel like, okay, life is okay and it's normal. So rather than being locked up in your skin and feeling like it's not okay to even feel these things, much less talk about them, let's normalize that and, and make a pathway to where we can get people the, the help that they need. I think that's awesome. I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm wondering if you have a theory as to why gun ownership became political and how it broke along the lines that it did. Cause that does, that does seem bizarre to me. Like, okay, it's personal defense, personal responsibility, personal accountability. Like this, this seems ubiquitous across political lines, but it's not for some reason. Why is it that uh, gun ownership tilts conservative? Well, that's a whole show in its own, I probably, think, and probably. takes itself back down, um, you know, historical lines to when and who enacted the first gun laws and what they claimed they were trying to do with those things. Um, but but it is very strange to me. For a lot of years, uh, gun issues, politically speaking, was called the third rail. And uh, growing up out here in the desert where we don't have subways, I, I had to have that explained to me. So apparently the third rail on a subway line is the one that has the electricity in it. You don't touch it, yeah. touch unless you're only it. on it. <laughs> yes. And so, um, you know, for any politician to even kind of tiptoe in the area of, well, I don't know about guns, guns are bad or whatever, you would have never, ever done that. Um, and so with the speed that we went from that being the third rail, stay away from it, leave it alone, it's in our Bill of Rights, hello, um, to now it being an actual talking point of, of people running for the presidency. Oh, I like it. Thank you. Yep. 
read it. Look how skinny that is. It takes like an hour to read and not enough people do it. For the listening audience who can't see our screens, uh, Shara held up her uh, pocket version of the Constitution of the United States and I held up my pocket version of the Constitution of the United States and we virtually high-fived. Yes, we did. Twinning. Um, and so uh, for people who are actually running for the highest office in the land to use it as a talking point to say, you know, I am actually going to reach into your home and remove something that you own, a gun, right? Uh, that is mind blowing because just in my lifetime, I would have never believed that we could have moved that far um, and that it does fall down a political line. And, and the thing that's more just puzzling is because we do have uh, friends, we have customers of our store, who are all over the political spectrum. So it's not the individual people. It's just sort of like, okay, the, the Democratic Party's platform. It's the politicians. Yeah, the, huh. this is the thing they're gonna do. And so, um, you know, cause I'm a little bit of a political junkie and I'm like, how on earth, this is gonna be one of the, the hardest elections for people who are in that space where they're like, okay, but I ascribe to this yeah. party and I always have my whole life, but I don't want them to take my gun rights. So how am I going to vote? So it'll be really interesting to talk to my individual friends once it's all said and done and see if anybody will divulge. Okay. How did you vote? <laughs> yeah. Really interesting. I appreciate that, that uh, backdrop though. I, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but at least it, now I can kind of see how it came to be. I had something in my head and then it just went away. I'm a terrible show host. Sorry. Well, no, that happens out, like, to me too. Bail me out, Mike. I um, it's it's an interesting, you know, back on that point. So I have a lot of friends in um, the liberal gun club and liberal gun owners, right? And they have to navigate through gun world all the time. Mm -hmm. And I always feel bad because, like, so many of us are always like it's those damn liberals, it's those damn Democrats, and it's like, imagine hearing, you know, like. You're, you navigate through a world, we don't do this. Like we, we, we enjoy our guns and we like our freedom and everything like that, but where we were the good gun people, but all we had to hear about is bad gun people all the time. Mm -hmm. Damn gun people. And we had to sit there and we're like, well, we're gun people, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I, that's why I always think about that for guys like Randy and Lara, you know, that have these organizations, mm -hmm. um, Ed over at uh, LGC. It's like, they have to hear us bitch. Uh, you know, a lot of the gun community bitch about liberals and Democrats. And, well, and, I, and I hear it in the mental health community because the mental health community tends to tilt left for, again, for whatever reason, I have, I have no idea, but um, it's, it was, it was like coming out of the closet when I joined up with Walk the Talk America, because it inherently said that I had to say, I'm, I'm a gun owner and a clinician after years upon years of hearing in many circles, the denigration of gun owners. Um, but then also, you know, conservatives and anybody who wasn't left basically, which is really interesting. Uh, Cause in the clinical community, it sounds very much like the gun community. There's just as many conservative or libertarian thinking people uh, as there are liberals in the gun community. So it makes no sense to me how professions and hobbies break along political lines. It just, it, it blows my mind. I like, why is that a thing? And then the, on top of the, why is that a thing? Why is it a thing that we can't talk about without fear of reprisal or like professional or social ostracization? It's, it's, that's not cool, man. Like we're supposed to be accepting and forgiving what's going on. That's the thing is making those broad assumptions uh, really only hurts whatever it is you, you value or you love or your hobby or whatever it is. It only hurts you to make these broad assumptions and decide for other people which side of the wall in your life they live on, right? Yeah. Uh, and what a, a richer experience we can all have and a, a broader umbrella that we sit under in whatever our hobby is. Uh, or interest, if we if we let people tell us about themselves, right? Let us not choose for them who they are. Let them tell us who they are, and find those areas of commonality and live and and foster those. 
And then the areas where you disagree, that's, that's where you can learn and grow yourself or have really interesting conversations. Nowadays, it's all about playing the trump card, bam, you know, like I'm right and you're wrong and I win. And that's honestly, to me, that's boring. That is just, it's, it's like childish in your, in the way of communicating. It's like, teach me about you. I'm, I'm interested with you. You know, something you just said there really uh, piqued an interest in me. It raised my curiosity because it, it has to do with the, the ability to receive information and grow, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if I've got this theory that people have moved pretty far these days, whatever these days means, you know, last 15, 18 years of uh, online, Google, social media, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we've moved away from distress tolerance because instant gratification has just ruled the day. Um, you can get any information at your fingertips. You don't have to labor for it. Uh, meals are getting faster. Um, everything's speeding up. And so we don't really have to, to put in a lot of energy and kicking back to the previous topic about, you know, forming your own organization or your own business it takes a lot of hard work. And I think people are just, it's not that they're work averse or allergic to work. It's just, they don't know how nobody's, nobody's been taught distress tolerance. To me, that's an emotional functioning issue. If you don't know how to ride through the distress of not getting what you want, uh, you're not going to be able to tolerate many other emotions. One of which would be fear. And if you're, if you don't know something, you have to put yourself in a vulnerable position in order to go, I don't really know everything about this thing. I'll, I'm open to receiving new information so that I can grow. Well, that's a scary uh, prospect because it leaves you open to risk, risk of what being harmed if you're wrong. And at a minimum risk of having to acknowledge that maybe you didn't have it all together in the first place and exchange some ideas for some different ideas. So as people have learned to be less tolerant of their own distress, I think maybe that's what's keeping them away from conversations about uh, whatever they think is quote unquote, the other, it also keeps them out of mental health care. Because you go into mental health and the, what's the clinician going to do? They're going to show you, they're going to put a mirror in front of you and say, hey, did you realize you had broccoli in your teeth? Um, and you're like, I didn't want to see that. Uh, except we're pointing out things in their psyches that they didn't want to notice and you know, maybe in their lives. And so maybe this whole overarching theme is that people are simply afraid to change their minds. And maybe it's not as sinister as, you know, like being indoctrinated with uh, whatever is going on in the world and all that stuff. But it's just a simple We've, we've lost the ability to be humble and receive feedback and get corrected. That is so interesting. And I, like I can sit and think on that for a while. It um, literally just popped into my head now as you were talking. I love it. And so what if that is the case? And I think you're really onto something. What if that is the case? My grandchildren, I have a six-year-old little girl, granddaughter, and I have a 14-month-old little girl granddaughter. still weird to me that you have grandchildren because you look like you're younger than I am but whatever. oh you're sweet I, it's a uh, it's hair coloring which actually I need some of and makeup so I get to cheat uh so um but anyway how what do I do for them how do I help them not grow up with this everybody gets an award for just breathing and you know let's not tell people they're wrong because it'll shatter their self-esteem I mean, the, the times in my life that I learned the most was when I skinned my knees the most, mm -hmm. right? Bonked my head the hardest. And one of the books on the shelf behind me is called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's that whole idea of, all right, do I just butt up against something or do I use that something as a launch pad to figure out, okay, that way is not going to work anymore or at all, but what can I do with it? What do you think about that? I mean, now I'm interviewing you, but. Well, you know, I mean, and that's fine. And I want to be respectful of time. We got to, Mike and I have to jump off to another meeting here. And I know that, you know, we only booked for an hour for you, but uh, so we'll try to wrap up after this, but I, this is, this is right in my wheelhouse. This is family systems uh, stuff that we do at work. And um, that type of thing pops up all the time. So I have, my kids are five and three. So they're right in the same range as your grandkids. And I am, I am critically aware of the quote unquote, the way things are right now uh, with, with the, the participation trophies. I mean, even adults get participation trophies right now. You go run a 5k and what do they give you? Some sort of, you know, memento to, to take home. That's, that is a participation trophy. You participated, you got your swag bag. 
Um, I don't think it's any different than what we're criticizing what started happening in the 80s with science fairs where, where everybody got a ribbon. And I am part of that generation. And I do think it had a deleterious effect on my growth um, because now I expect something simply for showing up. Um, you know, we've got phrases like, well, at least you tried. Well, no, we don't reward effort. We reward accomplishment. We, re we reward um, achievement. We don't, we don't reward simply showing up. You have to do something. You don't get a paycheck just for punching the clock at work and sitting down. You, you get a paycheck for producing, right? And so there's this, this weird juxtaposition of what the messaging is uh, that we see online and in social media and throughout our, our daily conversations. And then the reality of what actually pays the bills, what actually gets rewarded and, and how success is, is acknowledged. And so what I've tried to do in my home is uh, Elijah, my oldest, he, he did his uh, peewee league t-ball last fall, first time. And of course, what do they do? They give every kid a medal. And uh, I told, I sat him down and I told him, he says, what, Oh, what did we win? And I was like, you didn't, you didn't win anything. We're actually just going to like probably throw this away. And he's like, Oh yeah, they should only give them to you if you win. And I said, yeah, you just went out and played for, for fun. They didn't keep scores. Four year olds running around hitting the ball. Like we're just trying to teach sportsmanship and eye contact. Right. Um, and so he, I'm trying to teach that in my home, but it takes a ridiculous amount of diligence and discipline on behalf of the individual parents. We can't just chalk it up to quote society or quote education or what, like it's not a they issue, it's a, it's a we issue. And I in my home, you in your home, we have to sit down, we have to teach emotional functioning, we have to teach the kids what they feel and why they feel and where they feel in their bodies, know that they can tolerate it and get through it, um, teach them that the skin knee isn't gonna hurt forever and it's also not to be avoided. Um, you know, get back on your bicycle, go go chase the frogs again and fall into the pond by accident. You know, like it's okay. We can let these things happen. We don't have to stand in front of every risk so that they can become healthier and stronger on the other end um, because we simply can't rely on others to do it for us. And I think that's, that's what's gone on now. We, our society has become so afraid of litigation that mm. teachers and, and bosses and, and all these other stand in would be parents mm. just simply aren't setting limits. Um, it's, it's just too scary. So we have to do it ourselves in our homes and hopefully we haven't forgotten how you can listen to some podcasts. So more podcasts will cure this. Yeah, no, I like that. More podcasts will cure this. Um, but yeah, having, having the, the stick to the, you know, get back up, dust yourself off and move down the road. But I want to tell you how much I suffered during the time of COVID that Amazon was not doing next day deliveries. I want you to understand that was yeah, it's dramatic a thing. for me, and it's just, it's, I wasn't right? sure I was going to get through it. This isn't a generational thing. It's it's <laughs> it's really it's trickling up the up the age ladder too. I'm I'm watching it in my parents. <laughs> What's that? Instant gratification. You order yeah. it online. You want it the next day. We forget yes. we used to dial up with AOL, and we had to wait. <laughs> yeah, it took yeah. 45 minutes to an hour to download a song, man. And now it's like. If my Google search results don't get returned in less than nine one hundredths of a second, I have to call my service provider and bellyache at him. True yeah, story. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's affecting everybody. So anyway, as we wrap up, uh, Mike, um, last thoughts or questions for Cheryl? One last question, Cheryl. How do you tend to your mental health? Oh, I probably need to uh, find a mental health professional that I can, you know, get my checkup from the neck up on a more regular basis. Um, two years ago, I got my master's degree, which is a psychology based degree. And so I was getting it like out of the fire hose. And so when I, when I got done with that, uh, because we were doing process groups together with my learning teams and that sort of thing. And so when I got done with that, and uh, it was basically a full year of writing out and t telling people in, in this format on the, the digital uh, meeting format, this is how I suck. And this is what I'm gonna do to not suck so much in the future. Mm -hmm. And any feedback you have on that, it would be helpful. Um, after doing that for a year, I felt like I just, I needed a break from looking at me all the time. Uh, but now flash forward, it's been a couple years and, uh, especially with this crazy season we're in, I, I think I could use a human being to, to talk to and process things. Um, 
I have great friends, especially the ones that I went to school with, because we have that that shared history and background. Uh, I do a lot of reading. Um, uh, there's a, a lot of uh, that I get from you know, like Bible study and, and spiritual uh, work, uh, that kind of thing. But um, I think I like everybody might be able to say I can do better. I can do better. There are more things that I can do because the driver, right? The operating system controls everything else. So if the operating system is is off or not fully, you know, uh, you know, geared up and and healthy, then um, other things start breaking down. That's brilliant, and I'm stealing it. Good. <laughs> it is yours. Get your firmware updates. Go see a counselor. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but thanks for asking that, Michael, because really that's such a great question. And it's not a question that we get to ask each other in, in just social settings, you know, like we say, hey, how you doing? But how often do we say, Michael, how are you? Right? And, then be, and then be open to the response, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Be present and non-judgmental, and just kind of be what, what uh, the, the people that I've gone to with my, my uh, schooling, Cloud Townsend Group, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they talk about being in the well a lot. And so it's kind of like, all right, somebody fell in a well. Are you going to shout down and say, hey, what are you doing down there? Get back up here. You know, no, you climb down. You can sit with them, bring them a sandwich and figure it out together how to get out of the well. So thanks. Uh, coming on. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, tell people how they can reach you. Oh, thank you so much for that. So our gun shop is azfirearms.com. Small mom and pop shop, but uh, big enough that we have a full-size World War II howitzer cannon in the center of the room. Wow. So that's kind of fun. If you're in the Avondale, Arizona area, you definitely want to stop in and, and check that out and see the shop. Um, and our, our people are service-minded. We are not salespeople. And that's, that's an important thing when you're talking about somebody that partners with a group like Walk the Talk America. You know, we are, we are, we have hearts of teachers and we're there to help you with what it is you need. Our auction house is pot of gold estate auctions. We sell guns, coins, jewelry, antiques, collectibles, all that sort of thing. It's all online format now because of COVID. Um, and uh, actually that's been a good move for us. Uh, it was one of those obstacle is the way things. That was an obstacle for us going all full online and then realizing, oh, we're actually maybe doing a little better now that we've gone all online. So totally. that was a happy circumstance. And then of course, Gun Freedom Radio is gunfreedomradio.com. And we are on all the social media platforms with all of those. And we love to hear from people because I know what I'm thinking. I'd like to know what you're thinking. Yeah. Well, Cheryl Todd, thank you so much for joining us on the Walk the Talk America podcast. We wish you all great mental wellness. See you next time. Thank you. I love you guys. God bless.